The 2017 Jacksonville Jaguars were one of the more surprising success stories in recent NFL history, thanks in large part to a dominant defense that stymied opponents week after week. But despite the roller coaster ride at quarterback that was Blake Bortles, the offense packed quite a punch as well, with a league-leading rushing attack led by Leonard Fournette. The Jags rode the throwback ground-and-pound technique to 10 wins and a berth in the AFC Championship game against the dynastic New England Patriots. On a cold January evening in Foxborough, Jacksonville's game plan was working to perfection. The Pats, stacking the box to defend the run on nearly every play, were being carved up on play action by Bortles, who could have been mistaken for the Hall of Famer on the other sideline in the first half. With a two-score lead early, it looked like the Jaguars could pull the upset. But whether it was fear of a Bortles meltdown or a stubbornness to the strategy that got them so far, the offense collapsed into a puddle of predictability. Instead of mixing things up, the Jags just kept trying to establish the run on first down. Six of the seven Jacksonville second-half drives opened with a four-net run of two yards or less, leading to an abundance of third and longs that Bortles could not convert. The second-half totals? 15 carries for just 41 yards, a 10-point fourth-quarter lead blown to New England, and a bitter end to an unexpected season. Time and again, the Jaguars tried to stick with their bread and butter. But in the end, their reliance on the run left them burnt. I'm Paul Michaelman. I'm Ben Shields, and this is CounterPoints, the sports analytics podcast from MIT Sloan Management Review. In this episode, we're taking a closer look at one of the gridiron's greatest debates, to run or not to run. CounterPoints is brought to you by Ticketmaster, the world's leading ticketing software and services company. Ticketmaster is trusted by thousands of artists, teams, and venues across 29 countries, connecting more than 1 billion fans and powering half a billion tickets each year. That's 15 tickets per second to live events around the globe. So whether you're grabbing seats to a must-win game, catching the hottest show in town, or giving someone you love an experience they'll remember forever, head over to Ticketmaster for 100% safe, verified tickets to your next unforgettable event. Because live only happens once. This era in the NFL is like nothing we've seen before. The passing game has exploded in both quantity and quality, and the emerging analytics are showing that teams that throw the ball more win the game more. This new development has led to the marginalization of the running back, and not just statistically. Just ask Le'Veon Bell. But are these analytics truly predicting the end of the RB1 as we know it? After all, those pesky Jaguars still made it one step away from the Super Bowl with their run-heavy system, and even the usually pass-happy Patriots lifted the Lombardi Trophy this past season after a historic run of performances on the ground by Sony Michel. Passing may be the way of the future, but how teams can successfully figure out the role of the running game, and how they can interpret the growing data surrounding it, could be the key to the next great dynasty. Paul talked with the Athletics' Ted Nguyen, who has gone deep on analyzing the value of the run. Ted, thanks for joining the show. Appreciate you having me on. You bet. So, in the NFL, as you note in your excellent article for The Athletic, some coaches just can't help themselves. They cling to this ingrained belief that establishing the run equates to victory, even though in this pass-happy era 
The analytics show otherwise. So let's begin there with the data. What do the analytics say about the importance of running the ball and how, if at all, that's changed? Yeah, there's this old idea that if you run the ball, if you're the more physical team, then it's going to lead to wins. It's going to lead to you beating down on opponents and all that. Uh, but just looking at the data over the years, a lot of the analytics experts have concluded that passing just has become a lot more efficient than running the ball. Some of the conclusions they've come to is offensive scoring in the NFL has increased over time, and that correlates with passing that has increased over time. And I think a lot of that has to do with the rule changes to make passing easier. Quarterbacks are becoming better, getting better coaching at the lower levels. So it's becoming more efficient. And the data on the stats are it's just passing is just a much more efficient way of moving the ball than running right now. Yeah, so I think that's shown pretty clearly, right? And that's been established for, for quite some time. But it's still another extension of that to say that the run doesn't matter, right? Or the run doesn't matter in setting up the pass. It's actually becoming a lot more accepted, even within NFL circles, that you don't need to run the ball for play action to work. And I think that's one of the big arguments for running the ball is that you have to run the ball to set up play action. But the data has shown that you can still have an effective play action game uh, without, quote unquote, establishing a run because linebackers and defenses, it's so ingrained for them to have to defend a run when they see a possible play fake and they see gaps opening up, they're trained to have to stop that run and move forward. And even if you don't establish the run, that kind of training is going to make them move up and that causes your play action to still work. So how does the data actually demonstrate that the play action isn't as affected by the run as we think? Ben Baldwin is the guy who really has spearheaded this argument. And he's the first guy who I've seen make this argument. And he subtracted the difference between play action effectiveness and a team's dropback effectiveness. He compared that with rushing success rate. He compared that with total rushes and rush percentage. And he found that there was no correlation between those three things and play action effectiveness versus drop back passing. Right. And so he was using player tracking data for that? No. So Josh Hermsmeyer was the one who used player tracking data to prove that. And he was uh, looking at the linebacker movements and he, he found that even if you keep using play action over and over again, the linebacker that he was keeping track of kept moving forward towards the run, even when they were uh, using play action over, I think, 12 times. And after that, the data got kind of wacky, but that's still a large number. So is the linebacker kind of the key determinant in the effectiveness or lack thereof um, of the run? I mean, what about, what about the rest of the defense and how they're impacted? Yeah, I think when you're running play action, the linebacker is the guy that you're trying to move. Obviously, you know, protection, you're trying to have defensive linemen stay at the line of scrimmage and defend a run too. There's some play action that will target safeties, but most play action plays are trying to target linebackers. You're trying to hit that void behind linebackers by having them move up. So that is the guy that you're, you're mainly targeting on most play action concepts. Got it. And is the play action really what it's all about in this argument? Is the deep ball not really relevant to the run? I think overall that passing the ball deep and uh, passing the ball more is more efficient and will lead to more scoring if you, you do it a lot more than running the ball. But it's also debunking that argument that you have to establish a run for play action to work. And play action has been shown or proven to be one of the most effective ways to move the ball. 
you kind of sum up the arguments from the analytics side in your article with a set of pretty interesting recommendations from the analytics community. Let's run through those. So the first was don't invest heavily in your run game because it doesn't correlate to winning. Okay, I think we've established that pretty clearly. The second, use more play action because it's more effective than drop back passing and it's proved to work without having to establish the run. Again, you've walked us through the data on that. The next one seems kind of obvious to me, but maybe I'm missing something. Don't run the ball into eight-man boxes. You know, it may seem obvious to you, but you know, there's still coaches that will run into eight-man boxes and they'll bring in more blockers to account for the extra players. But what you're doing is condensing your formation. The defense condenses with it. The old belief was that if you have enough blockers, it doesn't matter how many people are in the box. But that has shown that just running eight-man boxes just doesn't work. And I think a part of that has to do with the fact that even if you're bringing more blockers, you're asking more things to go right. So you need those eight blockers to execute their assignments correctly to get uh, consistent yardage against eight-man box. Whereas it's easier to rely on you know maybe five guys getting their five blocks correctly and running the ball that way. So with more blockers, even if you have enough to account for everybody, you're asking for more things to go right, or you're relying on the fact that you need more things to go right during that play, if that makes sense. Are you less likely as an offense to see eight-man boxes today, or has that not changed? It depends on the situation, and depends on the type of team you are. For example, if you're the Cowboys, and uh, you have Ezekiel Elliott and you know, teams know that you're not a great passing team, then they'll load up eight in the box. Also, just the fact that the Seattle Seahawks made their cover three defense so in vogue now and cover three, you automatically have eight in the box when you're running cover three. You know, teams are seeing more eight in the box just because of that alignment that's becoming so kind of the in vogue defense now. So the fourth recommendation is test the limits of passing and don't force the run unnecessarily. I think that the analytics community want to see a team really air out the ball and test the limits of how much you can pass without running the ball or running the ball at, at a minimum. And I don't think we've seen a team to really push the limits throughout the season. We might see it with the Arizona Cardinals this year with uh, Cliff Kingsbury coming in with his air raid offense. I think that they want more teams to do this and that way they get more data and see how far you can push the pass game. And I should add in that recommendation, you quoted the word unnecessarily, right? And that's key, right? Because we're, re- we're redefining what that means in this context. Exactly. Number five is use the pass to set up the run. Run when defenses start to adjust to pass. I think the old notion is that you need to run the ball and get defenses closer to the line of scrimmage, and then you could pass. But the analytics community is suggesting that you pass, pass, pass. And once the defense softens up, and gets guys away from the line of scrimmage, play more two deep defenses, that's when you run the ball. So it's kind of the opposite approach of uh, what's been going on. Number six, deception in all its forms is the most important element in offense. Mm -hmm. Not the team that's most physical and will ram its head against the wall that's going to be the most productive offense. It's the teams that know how to use deception, that knows how to beat tendencies or get around tendencies. Those are the teams that are going to move the ball consistently. And the last recommendation from the analytics community that you cite is the run game is valuable in short yardage situations in the red zone and for running out the clock. So the numbers have shown that this is where the run game is valuable. Running the ball in short yardage is much more effective than passing the ball in short yardage and in the red zone as well. 
And of course, you know, at the end of games, you don't want to take risks with passing the ball too much. At the end of the game, if you have to lead, you want to run the ball and secure it and just keep the clock moving. Great. So now let's look at the uh, at the counter arguments or the counterpoints, since that's the name of our podcast. You found plenty of people within the game who not only value the run, but have pretty specific arguments for doing so, right? Yeah. And uh, one quick counter argument to that last point is, can you be a good short yardage running uh, running team if you don't run the ball consistently? So if you, if you don't get the practice running the ball and you're not doing it with some frequency, can you just all of a sudden become a good running team in these situations? Are there any teams that actually have shown you can? There was a Detroit Lions who, I think Warren Sharp mentioned them in one of his articles, who they, they just didn't run the ball at all. They didn't have the personnel to run the ball. And in the short yard situations when they needed to, they just they couldn't convert. And that was uh, one of the downfalls of their offense that particular year. Got it. So we're kind of confident in the negative it's possible somebody might prove it not true, but there's no one who kind of leaps to mind. So what are some of the arguments in favor of the run? A less risk of a negative play. And a negative play could be a turnover, loss of yardage, and a sack. And if you get sacked in a drive, there's a high chance that that drive will eventually end because it's hard to make up that lost yardage. And in 2008, a turnover occurred uh, almost five times more on a pass play than a run play. So even though passing the ball has become more efficient, the inherent risk of a turnover is still there. So I think that's one of the biggest arguments is just trying to bring down the risk of a negative play. Are those the kind of core arguments? What else do run proponents in the NFL have to say? So you also have to disarm the pass rush, as they say. Um, So when you are just passing the ball over and over again, uh, defensive linemen don't have to worry about the run and they could just rush up field. One of the biggest mismatches that's on the football field is the offensive linemen against defensive linemen. Offensive linemen are a lot less athletic than their counterparts, the defensive linemen, who are some of the biggest freaks on the field. Uh, So when you lose that advantage of deception, the defensive linemen know you're going to pass every play, and they know that they could just do one thing, which is rush up field. It makes life a lot harder on offensive linemen, which is why... You want to run the ball and keep them second guessing, keep them at the line of scrimmage. And there's another argument, which I think is not proven and it's harder to prove, but coaches really believe that after a while, if you run the ball, it wears out on defensive linemen and makes pass rushing harder later on in games. Okay. What else? Okay. So there's an argument that was made from a coach from an analytics driven team that when you're looking at a lot of these statistics that show that passing is much more efficient than running. You're looking at averages and with averages, it could be swayed a lot with big plays in a pass game, even though it could have two incompletes and all of a sudden a big play in a pass game. And that kind of sways the averages. And he suggested looking more into median and mode statistics. Some people talk a little bit about this, but I haven't seen very comprehensive studies. And I suspect if you do look at median statistics, you'll see that the um, efficiency is a lot closer between passing and rushing, but obviously passing will be more. But with the less of a risk of a negative play in rushing, I think that it does bring up the value of rushing a little if you look at it that way. And another argument that can be made is that there is, you know, when you're running the ball, it forces different personnel to be on the field. So you're forcing 
bigger defensive tackles. They can't rush the passer as good as a smaller defensive tackle on the field. You're forcing the defense to put bigger linebackers on the field that might not be able to cover your tight end. And those things are unquantifiable, or at least I haven't seen a way where you could measure that. And also there's the game theory argument where you're not trying to maximize yardage on every single play. There's plays you run for different reasons and to set things up for later. So you've got a really data-rich argument on one hand, as you would expect from the analytics community, right? And you've got some pretty interesting counter-arguments to that on the kind of football side, right, that don't, at least at the surface, have a lot of data behind them, but they sound really logical. So where do you come out on this? You know, you don't need to run the ball to win, but I do believe that there is value in the run game. So I don't think that you know, teams should just abandon the run and make it a second thought. I think that you, you have to build your pass game first. That should be the number one worry for every team. They have to find themselves a good quarterback, surround themselves with weapons, and really invest in their pass game. But they can't lose sight of building an efficient run game. So that also has to be part of your team building is you have to figure a way to run the ball, but you're not going to invest heavily into it, if that makes sense. So is there any world where a uh, running back, no matter how great he was in college, should be the second pick in the NFL draft? I think picking a running back in the top 15 is, it just doesn't make sense in today's NFL, unless somehow a team that's a top contending team somehow is a pick in the top 10, if, you know, maybe through a trade or something, and they think that a running back can really take them over the top. And if they do pick this running back, he has to be a good receiver and has to be able to contribute in the pass game. It can't just be a, a two down back that can rush and can't catch. So I think it makes sense in that context, but it, I don't think it makes sense to pick a running back when you're rebuilding because one teams that are rebuilding normally don't have a great offensive line. The analytics have shown that running backs are very reliant on their offensive line. It's hard for them to make plays when they have a bad offensive line, no matter how good they are. And two, if you're a bad team, you're not going to be running the ball a lot because you're going to be passing to catch up. And that kind of devalues the running back. So it doesn't make sense for bad teams to pick running backs early in the first round, in my opinion. So beyond kind of being careful about where you spend your draft picks on running backs and, and maybe making sure the running backs you do pick, at least the ones high up, can also be a, a factor in the running game. How, how else might these findings impact kind of long-term planning or roster construction for teams? I think that it also affects whether they want to pay running backs, good running backs that are on the team, they, if they want to give them that second big contract. And I think we're seeing a lot of that. these issues arise now with running backs. For example, Zeke Elliott with the Cowboys, he wants to get paid a lot of money. You know, Maybe 10, 15 years ago, Jerry Jones would have given him a huge contract without even thinking about it. But now it's becoming a huge point of debate. And they're probably negotiating and even thinking about whether they want to pay Elliott or not. And then you have Melvin Gordon, who's a very good back with the Chargers. He's holding out. And then we had the Le'Veon Bell situation last year. So, yeah, with these backs that are coming up on their second contract, it's, it's really affecting them and how much they're getting and how much they think they should be getting. Yeah, it's tough out there for NFL running backs. I mean, I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but already they have some of the shortest careers in the game. And now we're, now we're basically saying they're not that important. So... If I was a kid getting ready to play Pop Warner, I sure wouldn't let them put me in at, uh, at halfback. Ted Nguyen, thank you very much. Appreciate you having me on.
This has been CounterPoints, the sports analytics podcast from MIT Sloan Management Review. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever fine podcasts are streamed. If you enjoy CounterPoints, please take a moment to rate and review the program on Apple Podcasts. CounterPoints is produced by Mary Dew. Our theme music was composed by Matt Reed. Our coordinating producer is Mackenzie Wise. Our crack researcher is Jake Menashe. And our maven of marketing is Desiree Barry. We also want to express our deep gratitude to Jeanette Ramos, Richard Marks, Michael Barrett, Deborah Gallagher, Lauren Rosano, Ali McDonald, Jenny Martin, Judy White, and Sean Brown, whose efforts make this show possible.